Hi, everyone. Susie O here. Just want to let all of you know that the certificates of deposit at Alliant Credit Union are now at, for a six-month CD, 5%, a 12- to 17-month CD, 5.15%, and an 18- to 23-month CD, 4.90%. And for those amounts of $75,000 or more, just add on 0.5% to those rates. Go to myalliant, dot com and check it out. What do you think of my voice, Katie? It still sounds a little foggy, but I'm a little sad today. We can use my sadness as the reason for your 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 hoarse voice. Um, why are you sad? Oh, I Did, know why. You she's know why? Sad. You're, you are too. Tell everybody you are too. Oh, well, not I, I, yeah. Yes, okay, you okay. are. She's sad too. Colo's leaving us. We're bittersweet. Sad. We're yeah. happy because he's going to get married, but we're sad because he's never left us for a month ever. <laughs> so we're a little bit sad, but he's leaving today, and we're excited. We're giving him and we're hosting a really great lunch for him and all his island friends. And um, then he's and leaving. sending him off to get married. You know what I was saying to KT this morning? He's going to be awfully surprised to see he's going to not get a tax refund because now he's going to have to file marriage. Let's not remind him. All right. About anyway, that. but welcome everybody to the Susie and KT Ask Anything. As you can hear, I don't know why. I don't know if for the past two weeks I can't get rid of this sinus infection. I've done antibiotics. I've done everything. But KT, you think it's your cooking? No, I've been giving her delicious honey tea and all of nice potions, and she hasn't had any dairy. She's eating all the right good protein. But the truth is, this is the best that I've sounded in weeks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I will try to get through this. All right, Miss Travis, go for okay, it. Okay. We're going to go right into it, everybody. Here we go. So the first question is actually a three-part. This is from Reggie, and she wrote, Susie, I would like to use the HELOC to pay off the mortgage before I retire. And next what is the HELOC, KT? Um, home equity line of credit, That's baby. That's my girl, baby. Before I retire and use her pension to repay the HELOC before the 13th month. And relieve oh, I my- remember this one. Wait a minute. And relieve myself of the weight of a mortgage. What do you recommend? And then she wrote, P.S. I already took the HELOC funds in mid-November. Right, so let me just interrupt KT here. You know, I do read all the emails. I don't know which one she will pick for the thing, but I wrote Reggie back and said, why would you want to do this? I don't understand. And she wrote back, what, KT? Okay, so here's what she wrote. Hi, Susie, I appreciate your quick response. The advantage for me to pay off the mortgage is, and then she wrote, it's my accomplishing a personal goal to not have a mortgage when I retire next year. I believe I will have the option to use the paid for property 
as collateral on small business endeavors in the future. I expect an initial pension payout upon retirement that will enable me to repay the HELOC in 12 months. I'm not going to answer this. You answer this, but keep it short for your voice. All right. It's hard for me to keep it short because when I read the answer that she responded, just like now, I like was in shock. I was in shock because it was like, no, Reggie, no, you don't understand. A HELOC is simply a home equity line of credit that has an adjustable rate mortgage on it, which means the interest rate fluctuates. You already have a fixed rate mortgage with only nine years left on it, and you know, at about the same interest rate as the HELOC, but it's fixed. Here's the problem, Reggie. You do not have a paid off property. You still have a home equity line of credit on it. And therefore, you don't own it outright. Therefore, you can't pledge the entire paid for property as collateral on a small business because it's not paid for. You still have a mortgage in the form of a home equity line of credit. So I don't know where that idea came from, but it's just so wrong, Reggie. And I get that you already took the home equity line of credit out, but yet you don't have to use it. Just because you have a home equity line of credit doesn't mean you have to use it. It's just there for you for when you want it. Number one. Number two, you say you expect an initial pension payout upon retirement, and that's going to enable you to repay your HELOC in 12 months. Reggie, if you take $75,000 HELOC out, and now you have a payout of a pension, and let's just say that pension was 75000 that's before tax. All pensions in a lump sum are owed taxes on it if you take that pension out in a lump sum. So if you took out $75,000, you would owe ordinary income tax on that money and not give you anywhere near $75,000 to pay off your HELOC. So let me just put it to you this way. This is the worst idea I've ever heard of in my life. You are to keep your mortgage. You can keep your HELOC for in case of an emergency, and you are to not take a lump sum of your pension. Do you hear me? Next question, KT. Susie, next question is from Jennifer. And and, and keeping with the spirit of Colo's wedding, listen to this one. Dear Susie, I've recently gotten engaged to a wonderful man who is worth 25 to $30 million. Woo. He is 16 years my senior. I am 54 and he is 70. He is widowed and I am divorced. I do not have any children and he has one child. Currently, we're working on our prenup and I feel that I have a very competent lawyer, but I need your advice on this matter. Susie, I have no money of my own. My soon-to-be husband and I are building a new home worth about $1.5 million. Of course, it's being built with his money. The problem is that my fiance wants to have a clause in the prenup that if he were to die before me, I would have two years to move out of our home we're currently designing and building together. Susie, am I wrong to think that I should be allowed to reside in the home for as long as I wish? I would love you to hear your thoughts and advice. What do you think? What do you feel about this? 
Oh, let me see this, KT. All right, Jen, here's what makes me so sad is that when you're getting married, the main goal, truthfully, of your spouse to be should be to make sure that you are protected against anything and everything, no matter what. Is it that he has, you know, a child and he wants to make sure that if he dies, that the kid gets all of this money and blah, 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 blah. And obviously he's probably left you three or $4 million just in cash to take care of you and everything like that. But here's the problem. Sometimes when people are living in a home and they live in a home for quite a while together, and let's hope that's the case here he obviously is going to die before you, given that there's no, you know, circumstances here with your health. Because he is 16 years older, number one, and men normally die, their life expectancy is shorter than a woman's. So here you are, you've been living in this home for let's just say 15 years, and now he dies. And this is a home that you've been attached to and that you really love and you don't want to move out because it normally will take when somebody loses their spouse two to five years just to even want to get out of bed sometimes, really. The other thing is the two of you are in a car crash, right? KT just gave me a look like, really, you're going to go there, Susie? Yeah, because KT, let me tell you why, right? You're in a car crash. He's been killed, you are severely injured, and you want to stay in that house because that's where you will be taken care of, and it's familiar to you, and it's what gives you security. He doesn't know what your situation's going to be. Can you move out? Can you do all that? Maybe yes, maybe no. So as I started this answer with his goal in marrying you, and if he has 25 or $30 million, really, $1.5 million is not that much in comparison to what he has. His goal should be that you are totally taken care of. You can get to choose anything you want to do with that house, and you get to sell it when you want to. All of that should be there. If it's not, you got to think about this and ask him, why doesn't he want to protect you? Why doesn't he want to do that for you? And so this really gives me red flags. And I hope you address it because you deserve better than that. You really do, in my opinion. All right, KT, next. So listen to this one. This is in keeping in the same spirit. Hi, Susie. This is from Lisa. I'm 59 and my sweet, loving boyfriend of five years is 55. We live about a hundred miles apart and we want to sell our homes and buy a house together. I will net enough from the sale of my home to pay 50% of the cost of a new home. But due to a divorce several years ago, he will only have about 20%. What is the right way to do this? I hate to put down enough to match what he has, because I don't want us to start a big mortgage at this age. But I know we need to be responsible and protect our individual interest as well. Now, see, that is a caring spouse or a partner. So thank you, Susie. And it says, I love your podcast with KT. Of course she does, because I love <laughs> so that's my from KT. Lisa, what do Lisa, you recommend? this is easy. Only put in what he's going to put in. Yeah, keep, you guys it, have keep lived, it fair. You guys have lived 100 miles apart. 
that means you haven't really lived together day by day, and you've only been together five years. So who knows, when you actually move in together, you're living together every single day. Is it going to work or is it not? Just put in 20%, period. Keep things equal. That's what I would tell you to do. All right, KT, what's next? Okay, Susie, this is from Wait, Richard. How am I doing? I'm getting through it, huh? You're getting through it, everybody. Just bear with the sound, but she's clearing up. Okay, this is from Richard. Hi, Susie. I've been working part-time for myself since August 2021. Is there something I can do with my 403B to roll them over to a Roth without penalty? Thanks for all you do to help us get money-wise. I love KT on the podcast too. What's the name of this person? This is from Richard. Richard, there's never a penalty to roll over a 403B into an IRA or a Roth IRA. All right. However, there are tax consequences. If you roll over a 403B, which is money you've never paid taxes on because you didn't say it was a Roth 403B. If you roll that over to an IRA rollover, no penalties, no taxes, because you're not taking anything out. If you roll it over to a Roth IRA, no penalties, but you will owe taxes, ordinary income taxes, on the amount that you roll over. Next, Okay, KT. I have another Roth question, everybody. These are so popular. This is from Roslyn. Hi, KT and Susie. I have a question about pulling money from my Roth IRA. I have about 140000 in my Roth IRA and need about twenty-five k, which is less than I have contributed for a down payment on an investment property. So what that means, KT, when she says it's less than what she contributed, is she obviously contributed, let's say, 50000 or $70,000 over these years for her to have 140,000 in there. So she's obviously contributed 50 or $70,000 or some amount of money into her Roth IRA and she only wants 25,000 of her original contributions out. Okay, next. Then it says when I called Fidelity, they said I can't just pull out the money that I put into it. If I pulled the money out, it would include earnings which would be taxed plus penalized. I hear you say all the time that one can pull out what they put in without tax or penalty, so I'm confused. Is it really possible to pull money out of a Roth IRA without needing to pay a penalty and tax on a portion of it? KT, this makes me so sad I can't even tell you. Okay, why is that? Because Fidelity is such an incredible firm. I tell all of you all the time that Fidelity, Schwab, all of them are great. But that doesn't mean every financial advisor that works for them is going to be great, which is why you have to make sure you know more about your money than probably your advisor does. True. In this situation, this advisor is 100,000% wrong, wrong, wrong. I mean, you could go to fidelity.com and see it right for yourself, Rosalind, where it says exactly what I've been saying forever, which is you can withdraw any amount of money that you contribute into your Roth IRA without taxes or penalties, regardless of 
how long that money has been in there, how old you are, all of that. So your advisor doesn't have a clue what they're talking about. And there are actual rules when you withdraw money from a Roth IRA, what comes first? You know, contributions come first, then conversions come first, then earning and on and on. The mere fact that your advisor told you this tells me one thing, and it should tell you one thing, you best get yourself a different advisor at Fidelity. Just that simple. Ugh. Go on, KT. <laughs> there you go, Rosalind. All right. Next was next question, Susie, is from Anthony. Hi, KT and Susie. What's your opinion on ISO stock options for private companies? I have a number of options and some have increased significantly, about 22000 in total gain. The price when I was granted my first shares was $1.27, and that was 2013. My next grant was $1.43 in 2015, and following that in 2017, $2.98. The price is now $4.13 per share. They expire after 10 years, which I think means I can cash them out if I'm still employed. Now, Susie, the company's stable. It's been around for decades. What general rules of thumb or things should I consider? Yeah. Thanks from Anthony. So, KT, do you know about stock options? Yeah, we have them too. We have them we too. Have we, quite do. A few. we have quite a few. We have a lot, actually. There are yeah. different types of stock options, Anthony. And a stock option, everybody, is something that a company that you're working for grants to you in the hopes that it will keep you as an employee. Because they know if you're an employee and they keep giving you stock options and you have more invested in that company, chances are you will just stay. So, in Anthony's email, he said that he's been granted ISOs, which stands for Incentive Stock Options. The other type of option that you might be granted is called a non-qualified stock options. I'm not going to answer about those right now. So my answer is only about, Anthony, your stock options or Incentive Stock Options, ISOs. Those are the absolute best kind of stock options that you want to be granted. The reason is this. You can exercise that option anytime you want. And because you've exercised it, if it's an incentive stock option, you do not pay taxes on exercise. You pay taxes when you sell the actual stock. So if you exercise your right to buy, and now you own this stock, if you simply keep it for at least one year or longer, when you sell, you pay capital gains tax on it. So if you really believe that this is a solid company and a stable company, and probably the price is going to go up, then you would absolutely exercise these options. So you can at least start your capital gains tax holding. You just have to make sure that you have the money to be able to exercise them. If your exercise grant is at a dollar and you have 9,000 options, you would have to come up with $9,000 to exercise. 
Do you understand? So if I had incentive stock options in a stable company, I didn't know if I was going to stay with them or not, because a lot of companies, when you leave, they have what's called a clawback provision, which means they can take the options away from you. I would exercise them now, at least wait a year before I sold them so that I would only have to pay capital gains tax. What's that look for well, now? Because he, he talked about 10 years. After 10 it, years, they go away. So he's got to exercise sometime within that 10 years, oh. KT. Otherwise, they disappear. Just so you all know, a non-qualified stock option, when you exercise it, you immediately owe taxes on the difference hmm. between the price of the stock and the exercise price. So they're very different, whatever. Wow, right, KT? I didn't know that. Okay, next question, Susie, is from Janet. Hi, Susie. I was just listening to one of your more recent podcasts. You were talking about buying Bitcoin through a Roth IRA. Mm -hmm. I thought that really made a lot of sense. So I called my broker. He said that FINRA rules and regulations do not allow me to buy unregulated stuff and that I was a regulated account. So what does she mean by unregulated stuff? What Finish that and mean? then I'll tell you. So then she's saying, is there something he doesn't know that you could share with me, Susie? Okay, there's probably a lot he doesn't know. I, oh, sorry, right, ever. But I only say that because his answer to you should have been really, Janet, is you can't, we can't do it at our brokerage firm, but you can do it. But the answer to you, because KT just showed me your email, is very definitive, like you just can't do it, can't do it anywhere. So, which is not true. There are companies that are springing up. Bitcoinira.com is one of them where you can actually buy the physical cryptocurrency within an IRA or a Roth IRA. I don't particularly like them because I think their fees are just way too high. Eventually, right, I'm sure that there will be other firms that you'll be able to buy cryptocurrencies in for a retirement account as well. So it's true for his firm. Like Katie and I in the firm that we deal with could not buy Bitcoin either. And that's just how it is. But there are firms that are being set up that you actually can buy cryptocurrencies in. All right, KT. Okay, Susie, I have two more questions for you. This is from Danielle. Dear KT and Susie, I'm just starting to learn about finances and retirement planning. You sound like you're getting my cold. I'm not. And I've been devouring your podcast daily. I'm learning a great deal from you. And I want to thank you for sharing all of this important knowledge with us. But here's my question. I don't remember in which episode you said backdoor Roth is not as valuable as a contributory Roth. Could you please explain why? Oh, Danielle, let me see if I can do this quickly while my voice is still with me. A contributory Roth, the reason that it's so great, and that's kind of what I alluded to in one of my earlier answers to a question about somebody wanting to take money out of their Roth IRA for a down payment on a home is this. Again, any money you put into a contributory Roth, which means every year you contribute either six or $7,000, depending on your age, that is money that you can take out anytime at any age, regardless of how long the account has been open without any taxes or penalties. It's the earnings on that account that cannot 
be touched for at least five years and until you are at least 59 and a half years of age. Otherwise, you will pay penalties and taxes. In a backdoor Roth, when you put money in, you can't touch that money for at least five years. So that isn't money that you can get at any time because it's really a conversion. You're converting from either a non-deductible IRA or even a traditional IRA and going into a Roth IRA. But it's technically a converted Roth. And as a converted Roth, they do not have the same rules as a contributory Roth. So again, in a converted Roth, which is essentially what you'll have if you do a backdoor, you can't touch that money that you originally converted for at least five years. That's a big deal. So that's why a contributory Roth is better. All right, KT, last one for you. <laughs> Here's another Roth, r- alarming Roth question. It says, I'm a little alarmed by what I heard on last Thursday's podcast about Roth IRA max contributions. My husband, 45 years old, started working again part-time in November this year and will not earn 6000 before the year ends. In 2018, we decided he should stay home with the kids since I made more money, and we started a spousal Roth IRA contribution that year and have been contributing to the max ever since. How does the rule of maximum Roth IRA contribution change in our situation? His 2021 contribution will be maxed out this month at 6000 From what I understand on Thursday's podcast, he can only contribute up to the amount of money he will make this year if that is less than six k. Do we then need to withdraw the amount over what I got it, makes? I got it, I got it, I got it. All right. <laughs> yeah, all it goes right. on and on. So, <clears throat> so, Katie, here's what you need to understand is that the rules that apply to contributions into a regular Roth or IRA are very different than non-working spousal IRAs. Those IRAs, whether it's a Roth or a traditional, are set up so that one spouse can stay at home and not make any money. And the other spouse who is working, as long as that spouse makes at least $12,000 or $14,000 a year to fund both yours and your spouse's, no problem. So your spouse is just fine. Don't worry about it. Again, the non-working spousal IRAs, whether it's Roth or traditional, have nothing to do with contributions to a traditional or a Roth IRA. So as long as you have what it takes to contribute to your Roth IRA, you met those income qualifications, and you made enough to cover his as well, you're good as gold girlfriend, KT. I'm ready. (laughs) Now, I'm ready, Susie. This quizzy isn't something that maybe you've heard about in the past on this podcast, but it is something that over all the years on the Susie Orman show, I have spoken about. So you might have to jar your little sweet memory to answer, but this is something that I think everybody should know. So Pam writes in and says, Susie, my Credit Karma report, TransUnion is 643, but my Equifax 
Credit Karma report is $775. Big difference there. So I cannot figure out why the 100-point difference. Do you know why it would be different and what can I do about it? So here's the question, everybody. Why do you think Pam's reports from Credit Karma, her TransUnion is at 643, her Equifax is at 775, why do you think there would be such a large discrepancy between those two? Why, KT? Think about it. All of you need to think about it. Okay, I think maybe because they started at different times. <laughs> Try one more time. You really have no idea, do you? No. I. You know what, Susie? I probably wasn't paying attention on that show. <laughs> I don't, so, I don't, right, I can't so, figure it out. Do all of you know why that's possible? All right, here's what you need to understand. All of you have three credit reporting bureaus. They are TransUnion, Equifax, and Experian. Some of your creditors report to maybe one, some report to another, some report maybe to another, but it's not always that your creditors report to all three of your credit bureaus. So it is really, really important that you check all three scores all the time. And if there is a discrepancy, then you need to look at your credit reports because it's in your credit report that will show, does one credit report from TransUnion, Pam, show that you're late on something? Has somebody stolen your identity? Has somebody opened up a credit card that only reports to TransUnion and they haven't been paying the bills and that's why you have a 643 credit score with them? versus Equifax, you have 775. So the way that you do this is get your credit reports. Now, all of you once a year are entitled to a set of all three, Equifax, TransUnion, and Experian, your credit reports at annualcreditreport.com. So just send in an email to them and get your credit reports. Because remember, your credit score is made up from the information on your credit reports. So the answer to this and what's going wrong will be on your TransUnion credit report. And it's just that simple. You will, if you go into the credit reports, you will on your own be able to figure out why there is a discrepancy. And then can she is she entitled to use the highest number? No, you usually if you have three numbers... Yeah. And no, you cannot just decide which number you're going to use and if you're applying for a mortgage. So is FICO better than Karma? I'll always think the FICO score is better than... It's the, more accurate because it more reads accurate. all three. No, that's not why, KT. Oh. Because 80% of the lenders out there today are set up only to take your FICO score. The Credit Karma score, which is why they can give it to you for free, is made up of something called a Vantage score. It's figured a whole different way than a FICO score is. They're close, but they're not accurate, mm. right? So, um, you know, but they're but they're free. So they give you an example that something's going wrong. Mm -hmm. But you really want to apply for a loan, you better know what your actual FICO scores are because that's what your lenders are looking at. 
All right. Now, a few things I just want to say before we end. Very shortly here, we're going to be in January. And in January, many, many of you are going to be getting your $100 bonus from Alliant Credit Union. So you should start looking for that at the end of the month. And I'm so excited for all of you. Again, the interest rate will continue to be for now 0.55%. And the good news is Alliant is going to continue with this offer because so many of you love it. Now, remember as well that we had an Alliant Credit Union sweepstakes. And some of you got credit when you would refer somebody or whatever for an entry into that sweepstakes. You never know when we might do that again. So I think it's really important that you tell as many people as you possibly can about the offer at Alliant Credit Union, because really with the $100 bonus, it is the best thing going anywhere. Anyone want to say anything, KT? It's almost the year end. And? <laughs> He doesn't know what to say. Okay, you don't have to say anything. The only other thing you have to, that I want to say, if you want to ask a question, all you have to do is send in a question to Podcast at gmail.com. It comes to us. KT looks over them, chooses them, and if chosen, it will be answered on the air. So very shortly, it will be the holidays where a lot of gifts are given Love is probably the best gift you can give of all. And when I say that, KT, I want to thank you for all the love you've given me this past year and a half that has been quite the year for me. You're getting better, Susie. We give each other love. All right, sweetheart. Anyway, until Sunday, hopefully my voice will be there to carry an entire podcast by myself. We all want you to be safe. And strong. And most of all, secure. secure. See you Sunday. Bye-bye. Neither Susie Orman Media nor Susie Orman is acting as a certified financial planner, advisor, a certified financial analyst, an economist, CPA, accountant, or lawyer. Neither Susie Orman Media nor Susie Orman make any recommendations as to any specific securities or investments. All content contained in this podcast is for informational and general purposes only and does not constitute financial accounting or legal advice. You should consult your own tax, legal, and financial advisors regarding your particular situation. Neither Susie Orman Media nor Susie Orman accepts any responsibility for any losses which may arise from accessing or reliance on information in this podcast. And to the fullest extent permitted by law, we exclude all liability for loss, damages, direct or indirect, arising from the use of this information. The must-have documents discussed in this podcast are legal documents created by a lawyer and distributed by Hay House.